Good evening, everyone, or good afternoon, or good morning, depending on where you are tuning in from. Um, we have an amazing um, panel of ladies here, professional black women, um, who have um, had some amazing accomplishments in their careers to come tonight and share with you about navigating racism in corporate America. And so I believe that regardless of your race, color, creed, doesn't matter. I think every one of us has a role to play regarding racism and invoking real change. And so we are here tonight to feed you. I'm hoping that when everyone, including ourselves, right, because this is going to be something that we will also walk away with information that we may not have known before we started this call. And so my hope is that each and every person tuning in will walk away from this conversation with information that they can use to further invoke change as it relates to racism in corporate America. And so um, I think everybody's shared. If you have not, when you come on, make sure you share this. Get this information out. Um, this is the winner's edition, right? Go ladies, go ladies, right? So I'm excited because, you know, we, we can talk about some things that we all can um, relate to, right? So I told, I told the ladies, I said, make this like a, um, we're at dinner just, just chatting, right? We're just eating dinner and chatting. So this is going to be, you know, open discussion. Um, we're very professional, so we know how to keep it professional, right? But we're going to have some, some, maybe some frank discussion um, tonight. And so I, I'm looking forward to each of their perspectives, but we're just going to talk and have a big discussion regarding navigating racism in corporate America. And so I'm going to do a quick introduction of myself and my corporate background. Some of you know me as Cherie. Some of you know me as Paulette. <laughs> I think three of my panelists know me as Cherie, and one knows me as Paulette. But on these platforms, just to, to uh, avoid any confusion and keep it simple, I just go by S.P. Whitaker. That way it it captures both names, okay? It keeps it simple. So I'm S.P. Whitaker, and I will be facilitating this discussion um, tonight. And so I have been in corporate, well, I've been in the IT and engineering field for over 30 years, <clears throat> and I know I'm dating myself. Um, Ten of those years I served in the Air Force, um, and I've held various um, roles throughout my career um, across different industries. Um, I've managed large teams, small teams, global teams, virtual teams. Um, I've done some project management, um, but mainly my heart is really around engineering um, and development operations. So regardless of the role that I've had, I've always had a passion to lead people and to help people grow. So that's just been at the heart of anything I do. And I see at least one person shaking their head because they have actually worked with me in the past, but that, that's really my passion. I just love to see people grow. And so currently I am the director of cloud governance and software governance for a major legal software development company. Um, and so I'm excited about what I do. I help to establish governance around what we do in the cloud and what we don't do in the cloud. And um, also what kind of software we can have, what kind of software we can't have. So I love my job. I've built a successful career, but at the end of the day, it has not been without challenges. 
And so that's some of what we're going to talk about tonight. Now I want you to hear from my other panelists um, and have them introduce themselves. And I'll start with Candace. Candace, would you introduce yourself, please? Sure. Uh, good evening, everyone. My name is Candace Miles. I am about 10 plus years in my professional career, um, and that has been being a part of a large national, really international um, technology and talent services uh, firm. Um, it, in my current role, I am required to lead North American strategy in relation to client relationships, um, interaction with consultants that my organization recruits. Thus, I have a very um, interesting purview into a number of different companies, industries, and how the people and talent strategy operates. And to Cherie's point, how um, unfortunately aspects of racism, of sexism, of so many other um, isms, if you will, can influence and impact how people progress and proceed. So looking forward to talking about the, um, those impacts as well as just, you know, positive um, uh, outcomes from the parties who often are impacted and, you know, what change can be brought in the future. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Candice. Um, Jasmine, please introduce yourself. Sure. Good evening, everyone. My name is Jasmine Smith. I'm first a child of God. And secondly, I'm a wife and a mother and a volunteer in the community, really working to do um, whatever I can, make a small imprint in the world and make it a better place. I have over 20 years of experience in community engagement, philanthropy and diversity, um, outreach and inclusion. And I'm really excited to be here this evening and to share my perspective and hopefully also learn from you all. Oh, thank you so much. Sandra, please introduce yourself. Hello everyone, I am Cassandra Rogers with 15 plus years in IT and technology background, both training and sales account management for global service providers. Um, so in short, I help global service providers make sure their networks are secure. Um, so that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, India. Hello, I am India Perry. Um, Echo what Jasmine said, I'm first a child of God. Um, I am a wife, I am a mother to two children, um, one of which is now in the workforce. Um, and so I have over 20 years experience in corporate America in various roles. 18 of those 20 years is spent in leadership. Um, so leadership is absolutely a passion of mine. And that's why you saw me nod my head, Cherie, as we, you know, we work together um, and kind of share in that same passion. Love seeing the growth and development of people. And I think at this day and age with all that's going on, we have, there's a lot of momentum where people feel that change is necessary. And so I'm excited about what is possible if we put this group of amazing women, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation, but put all of our heads together and hearts together and everyone that has joined tonight and start talking about how do we move forward? How do we create that change? Yes, yes, yes. I told you guys we have a panel of amazing, amazing women. I am so excited and we're all children of God, which, which how could I have forgotten to say that? But it's because of him that we're all here. And so I, I'm excited. Um, I love what you said, India, about you know, us all coming together and putting our minds together and our hearts together collectively to really invoke change, right? It's really about the action because we can talk all day long, 
but it's really about the action after we've had the conversation. So I love that. I'm excited. I'm actually excited for what we're all going to do even after this. Um, so look forward to that. So I'm excited for that. So I want to go ahead and, and get the conversation started. And what I want to do first is just share some statistics. Okay. Fortune magazine published an article in June of 2020. And the article states, despite years of diversity programs and pious pledges by corporate America, the ranks of African-American chief executives running a Fortune 500 company remains very slim. There are only five black CEOs on the 2020 list. This equates to a tiny fraction of just 1%. Despite the fact that African-Americans represent 13.4% of the U.S. population according to the most recent government estimates. In total, there have only been 18 black CEOs on the Fortune 500 list since 1999. Now, I will add that since the writing of that article, one CEO has resigned citing personal reasons. So now we only have four, which is less than 1%. I was blown away when I read that. Now, the first and only black woman to ever lead a Fortune 500 company was Ursula Burns. And I know a lot of us being in leadership, being black and being women, know who Ursula Burns is. But she led Xerox from 2010 to 2016. So of the four CEOs that we have running um, Fortune 500 companies, four of them are black males. I mean, they're all black males. Another statistic, in a report done by Talent Innovation titled Being Black in Corporate America, their report had the following key findings. Black professionals hold just 3.2% of executive and senior management positions, while 10% of college degree holders in the United States are black. And I think we can all agree that we typically go to college to get a degree so that we have those higher positions eventually in our career. So you see those numbers are staggering and those numbers don't line up, right? And so that's kind of what we want to talk about because we know that there's no question that race has played a role in those numbers being so disproportionate. So let's start the discussion by, by discussing our experiences of racism in the workplace. And so my first question is really going to be, um, or a statement, I would like for you to share with us one or two experiences of racism that you have personally experienced in your career. Now, I want the, uh, the audience to understand this. We don't come here representing our respective companies. We come here respecting our individuality, us as black women in leadership. And so we will not mention names and things like that just for the sake of we still have our careers, okay? So <laughs> we're going to keep it 100, okay? But if somebody does feel like they want to do that, that's totally up to you. But I'm just giving a disclaimer that that's typically how, you know, how this will work. So if you will share with us one or two experiences of racism that you pers personally experienced in your career. Um, Candace. 
One or two, you say. No, I'm you probably uh, several. <laughs> maybe, maybe make it like you know, maybe one or two of the most impactful or have, you know, really changed you. Yes. Think, that is exactly what I was thinking of to kind of summarize a theme, if you will. Mm -hmm. I think the, the two most consistent um, um, effects are still affecting me and are still navigating um, that tie to racism have to be not being believed um, as well as a not being seen. So not being seen, meaning of, I can remember it like yesterday, um, a meeting with a client who, when I introduced myself and uh, my white male partner and the dynamics of our um, uh, working relationship, I explained that I was the lead in the situation and here's how we operate, here's how we partner well. And watching the white male client just immediately shift when I started asking some probing questions to get some information so we could be the best partner to our client. Long story short, the party literally stopped making eye contact with me and only uh, averted the attention to my white male colleague. And this was only a couple years ago. And, and to have my white male colleague see that, um, where I don't think he would have disbelieved me before, but to the theme of not being heard, talking about these things this is not new to me. This is not new to you all, to my parents, to, you know, this is something that is so consistent and how much I have to bring forth to the table um, to be believed or to be seen, I think is directly correlated and tied to racism because my experiences, what have happened, um, what I look like because of those things or, you know, and we'll probably get to the subject of like, you know, how does being black impact you? It's like, me being black or my skin color or my family and the rich varieties of, of shades that we come in, that is not the reason that I experience racism. It's other people's interpretations and it's other people's perceptions. So yeah, I think those two things, not being seen and not being believed um, are lasting and cover so many different instances professionally that I've experienced. Wow, and you are right. We are gonna touch on some of that, what you mentioned just a few minutes ago. Um, Jasmine, Jasmine, sure. with us one or two of your experiences. Yeah, like Candace, I'm like, hmm, I, it's so many. Um, to kind of piggyback off of what Candace started, I would say a lot of it's microaggressions. So it's, you say something, no one hears you, and then a white male counterpart says the same thing, and all of a sudden it's the best idea ever, and you're yes. like, is there an echo in here? Did, didn't I just say that? Um, that's happened to me a ton in my career. Um, I've been told that I look angry when I don't smile, um, which is black girl, angry black woman syndrome at its finest. Um, I've been told I make too much money. Um, it's just the list goes on and on and on. But I think a lot of it starts with those microaggressions and, and those little things that I think sometimes people don't even know that they're doing. Um, yeah, that's good, that's good. Love it, love it. Cassandra. Yes, I must agree with the first two ladies. Those are very prevalent. And um, to add on to that, I think the other thing that really shaped me in corporate America is my tone of voice when I speak. Because when I, my voice projects, I am loud. It just, even when I don't mean to be, I am. 
So being really young in corporate America, the first time being in leadership and I'm presenting to a team and the feedback that I got was exactly that, was that I sounded very angry or very um, aggressive. So I learned to definitely smile all the time, which isn't hard because I'm a happy-go-lucky person by nature, but I'm very intentional when I'm in meetings to smile. Um, I think, how do I sound? How do I sound? And so if I feel like I'm projecting, which I naturally do, I'll take a moment to kind of tone my voice down so that it doesn't sound like I'm being extremely aggressive. Um, and definitely the not being seen and not being heard. I've experienced that so much, even a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> that I even said, really? I literally just said that. <laughs> so, yeah. All right, India, one or two experiences that you've shared related to racism in your career. Um, I think it's kind of, it's telling, but it's also kind of sad that I can relate to every last one of the experiences that have been mentioned. Um, one in particular that I will add that definitely has shaped my career and me as a person um, was having to justify my presence. So justify why I am sitting at the table across from my male white counterparts where I literally had a male white counterpart approached me after a meeting, tower over me, and actually asked me what qualified me to be there. And wow. for me, that sent me down a path of self-discovery because it caused me to recognize, you know, I have to believe in my own value and my own worth and why I am at the table because they're not going to cheer me on, right? I have to know my value. And so I had to go down that path of realizing my story has value. What I've experienced, what I've been through has value. And yes, as we've all been taught, we have to work twice as hard to get half as much. So I've earned my right at this table and I have to believe that. And so as, as black people in general, especially as black women, I will say, us believing the value in who we are is something we have to hold dear because it's constantly questioned, it's constantly a fight that we have to have that internally we have to know who we are. Oh, that is so good. Okay, so I'm gonna piggyback up on all four of y'all. <laughs> I can definitely relate to every last one of those and have experienced those. Um, I will add um, two more to the list um, of things that I've experienced. One is um, feeling, feeling equal. Um, especially to my male counterparts. I remember early on in my career coming out of the military, um, I didn't know what to negotiate my salary. And so I looked to my male white manager to help me make that decision. And he helped me make the decision. You know, he pretty much told me, this is, this is what you should ask for. This is what we will pay you. Now, mind you, I had an associate's degree. I had the 10 years of experience. I had every single Microsoft certification you could you could imagine here comes a young male white um, person who wanted to work with us as a contractor he was not in the IT field he did it on the side he had came from another profession I was asked to train him help him get his certification so that we can bring him on full-time and so I did that I you know I did everything I was asked to do um, because it was the right thing to do, right? We're hiring him onto the team. We want to make sure he knows what he's doing so that when he's going for the client, you know, he has everything he needs. 
So, and this is the reason why, right? We're always told not to discuss salary. I walk into the office one day and our admin is like, hey, we just converted it, so-and-so. And I'm like, oh, awesome. She said, yep, we gave him exactly what he wanted. We gave him 80,000. And I was like, oh, okay, awesome. That is great. You got 20,000 a year less than I was making. Now this was a long time ago, but regardless, I was like, wow, that was such a slap in the face to me. And I was like, wow, they didn't give the black girl what she was worth, but they gave it to him. And so that was my first, I think, awakening moment about racism that really drove me because after that, I'm telling you, I wanted to check every single box. I never wanted to be across the table from someone interviewing me and tell me I'm not qualified. So I went hard in school. I went and got two graduate degrees. I wanted to make sure I had everything. I was like, oh, you're not going to tell me that I'm not qualified. Mm -hmm. I had experience, whatever certifications I needed. I wanted to make sure that whatever, whenever I was sitting there again, you would not be able to tell me I'm not qualified. And you would have to tell me a really good reason for why you're not hiring me, right? And second one was related to, um, I went to work at a company and um, when we all came in, we all came in together as employees. Well, I got promoted to be the first shift manager. There was a lady, she was white, and she went to, who was now my manager and said, I am not gonna work for her. And it wasn't because I had done anything wrong at all. She just did not want to work with me because I was black. And I'm gonna, I can talk about it now and it doesn't hurt as much, but I'm going to tell you when they told me that it hurts because I heard her having the conversation. So she ended up quit, quitting. She would rather quit than to work for me. And I'm I, I developed the mindset even back then, and I tell a lot of young, um, young black women this, because sometimes we can get the whole stereotypes, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But I said, look, don't ever let anyone have the power to take your check away from you. Mm -hmm. So regardless of how mad I was, they paying me very well. I was not going to give them the power to take my check away from me. So that, that has really driven me because it's like, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I am the manager. You just have to live with it. You just have to suck it up and deal with it because I'm not going anywhere unless I choose to go somewhere. And, so, you know, I just appreciate that we all have, you know, have lived through these challenges, but we have, I don't, I, I'm trying to think of the right word, but we have, we have persevered. That's the word I want to use. We have been able to persevere and just continue to climb the ladder or continue to progress in our career. So shout out to you ladies. Thank you for sharing um, those transparent moments. So going to the report, go ahead, India, you have something else to add? Go ahead. Go ahead, <laughs> yes, we're talking. Okay, boss lady. Just to... <laughs> I told you guys, look, so the, for the audience, for those who are watching, you know, it's nothing like when you get ready to do something, your throat wants to do all this funny stuff. So that happened to me. So I had to get some tea. So excuse me if y'all see me drink. But go ahead, Indy. 
I was going to say that um, just with what you said and what each of um, us has shared, the common theme is we go through these experiences and these experiences are common, unfortunately, and they hurt. And that, yes. that's the these experiences yes. hurt. But at that moment where we encounter this, we have a choice, right? We can hurt and sit in that hurt and allow them to win. Or we say, this will never happen to me again. I'm going yes. to make change. And that's the difference that as you hearing over and over again with everyone who's sharing their stories, that that happened, it hurt. I felt that hurt, but then I did something, right? Yes. And it's doing something to say. That means I'm going hard at school. That means I'm going hard to make sure that I'm going to be here. And I'm going, like, those are the things that I think are very, very important and key. Absolutely. Absolutely. Those are very good points and kind of leads me into my next piece of this conversation. So going back to the report done by Talent Innovation titled Being Black in Corporate, Corporate America, they also found that 65% of Blacks feel that Black employees have to work harder to advance, while only 16% of white employees feel the same. 65% of black employees feel like they have to work harder to advance. And it goes back to some of what we've already been saying, right? Where we feel like we constantly have to bring it. We can never turn it off. We have to work harder. We have to work longer hours. We have to do all of the things that people take for granted. I remember at being at work one night and I had um, a gentleman walk by me and he said, you're still here. Why are you still here? Why are you working all these long hours? And I looked at him and I said, are you really asking me that question? <laughs> I said, I have to. He would call me at work like, are you coming home anytime soon? I'm like, baby, I am. But I just felt like I had to always, always go 150%, whereas my peers could go 50. It's okay. And so I know, I see you guys shaking your heads that you can relate to this. Do you want to share something about being part of that 65%? Or if you feel like you're not part of the 65%, I would love to know what you're doing. <laughs> um, first of all, I thought it would be higher than that, to be honest. Um, I, yeah, you did too, yeah. right? Okay. Um, glad it's not just me. I feel heard, sisters. Um, seriously, though, I think a lot of this stems from the history in this country and the power dynamic that has existed since we were brought here unwillingly from Africa. And I and I do think that um, there's a lot of data that shows that that this the trauma that Africans experience that that goes through the bloodline and that impacts us and and that whole power dynamic that we have been fighting our our entire existence, it exists today. And um, I think it's just that, that powerful that it just stems from, from back then. Wow. And I, I'd actually love to talk about, you said it was 16, one six, right? Not 16. Yeah, one, I'd, I'd rather one, talk about the 16% that, <laughs> you know, doesn't think that it's true. Uh, right. Of either, you know, non-black professionals, I guess, yep. because it's absolutely true. And they're, 
to um, Jasmine's point, there's so much data from the historical context of how our society and, and um, you know, the structure of different classes of people, of, of different um, uh, aspects of how people look, so much data on that. And then when you oh, get yeah. in any environment, you can see it. You literally can see who is safe when it comes to some of the things they say and they do. Um, who really just thrives in mediocrity and feels like they uh, should be applauded for doing the bare minimum. Meanwhile, you have 10 things on your plate and that's just your brand. You know, you're just like going above and beyond. Yes, I may like to, you know, do my best, but that doesn't right. mean I want to do two people's jobs. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it's more to me a fact, not a feeling. And for parties who disbelieve it, I think there's there's a lot of introspection that needs to be done on their end, more so than us proving why it's true. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. That's so good. Us proving why it's true. <laughs> Don't we do that all the time? Go ahead. Who else wants to weigh in on that? I'll even speak to my own experience into getting the position that I have now within a company that I've been with for quite a while. And even to get into the position that I had now, I had to literally interview with 10 maybe 11 different people and my counterparts before me were like oh my gosh really you had to do that many interviews and i'm like yeah and then talking to my um my non-african-american mentor pretty much said the role that he's in which is an executive role they literally just created it for him one day because they were going to do some re <laughs> some reorging and um they wanted to keep him and they literally just created an executive position that didn't exist but I was backfilling the position for someone who moved on and had to interview with 10 or more people. So it's, it's wow. real um, for anyone who, who needs some statistics or, or <laughs> the thing that we have to prove it to them. So even when people say, oh, how did you get this position? Really? I interviewed over a, several weeks with 10 to 11 people. And the shock on people's faces when you say that. So it's definitely very real. Wow. Wow. Did anyone else have anything to add about that? I, mean um, I definitely can relate. Um, and I think for me also just seeing what others are able to get away with. Um, you know, you could see it as a child in classrooms um, and their statistics on That's that, so right? Good. Um, but then you see it also in the workplace where literally I've had a coworker, there's an email that came down from the top level executives saying, you know, we need this information and they sent it to two or three of us. Coworker just kind of put his hands up and I looked and said, um, it actually was directed, like they said your name. And he said, well, I've reached my level of stress that I'm willing to take for the day, so I'm not responding to any more emails. Oh, we could do. Oh, I like that. Let me write that. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> but yeah, I knew. I knew. Wow. Let me and look like I wanted to try that. Right? They there would be an usher waiting to go ahead and leave me out so fast. Like mm -hmm. that's not acceptable for me. But just seeing how blatant, like yeah, I don't have to do it. It's okay. I get to set my own rules, and it's going to be okay where I'm just grinding it out, grinding it out, working my fingers to the bone and coming home tired, coming home stressed, coming home full of pressure. That's not the life that others are living. And that's where it gets to a right. place where it's like, this is not fair, right? 
that I'm now taking on the work, especially when you start working within teams. Oh, I'm doing 90% of the work. And then y'all are getting the promotions and the raises, but I'm yes. over here doing the work. Like, really? <laughs> but you see it. And it's hard to see that. And to what Cassandra was saying earlier, you're not allowed to show it on your face. You got to smile, you know, you got to smile. You're taking these, these hits left and right, but you got to yeah. smile if you don't want to look like the angry black woman, right? <laughs> so it, it is. Yeah. It's so true. So true. And to add on to India's point, um, not only are we tired, and then you don't have for your family. So you've given all into that job for, for people who don't necessarily care, and then you go home to the people you love the most, and you don't have anything for them. And for me, kind of everything that I've experienced has brought me to a place where I used to define myself by that job. And that's why I now say I'm first a child of God, because when that corporation or that job is gone, who am I? I'm not fill in the blank ABC company. Right. Um, and, you know, when you die, when you die, ABC company is not going to give a flying flip of who you were, but your children, your husband or your partner or whomever is special in your life. Those are the folks that are going to care. And that's where you need to pour your energy. And that's for me, the job is a way for me to pour into my family and to the things that I love and want to do. Whereas I think up until maybe a year or two ago, I flipped it. I was living for the job. And that got me nowhere but burnt out, dried out, <laughs> tired, mad. I was the angry black woman. You know, so. <laughs> Oh, this is so good, but it's so true. Um, you know, everybody's points are so, I mean, valid. I mean, we're, we're, all, we're all living this. Um, when India started talking about, you know, promotions and things like that, you know, um, I've heard people say this, and, and it's so true, that typically um, the white male, right, he says, give me the job, pay me this amount of money, and I'll show you I can do the job, right? And sometimes they'll get probably about two years to prove that they weren't qualified for the job. And then they go to the next job. Whereas we have to take the lower end and then prove yep. we can do the job before we can get the next level, before we can get the next pay, right? We've lived that where it's, it's excuse after excuse after excuse. Well, why can't I get that promotion? Well, now you need more responsibility. Okay, you gave me more responsibility. Now why I can't get that promotion? And then that person leaves. Someone else comes in. And now you have to prove yourself over again. Whereas you're watching your male counterparts just slide on by, you know, and get everything that they want. And so it's, it's just amazing that there's such a difference. So we're, we're talking about some things that I was going to ask for the next question. So it kind of slides right on into this next question is, what is one, and you guys have said it several times, which is mine, but what is one of the worst stereotypes that you had to deal with at work? And how did it make you feel? <laughs> So while you guys are thinking, I'm going to tell mine because you guys have hit on this one so many times already, but it is definitely the angry black woman stereotype. That has to be the worst for me because being in leadership, you have to be able to 
have hard discussions. You have to be able to defend your team. You have to be able to sit at the table um, as an adult who knows what they're talking about, right? Because they're paying you because you have something, you know, in between your head. And so you start to explain these things and, and, and it could be tone. It could be um, someone who said that their voice is loud. I think it was Cassandra. It could be that, but you could talk quiet. You could talk quiet. You could say all of the right things, but if you're defending something or you're standing your ground or you're stating something, I've been, I've been labeled like the angry black woman. And it wasn't that it was told to my face. It was told in a review. And it was like, well, everything is excellent about you. You got a great rating. But you might want to work on, you know, when you guys are in a meeting, you know, with your peers, because they kind of feel like you kind of get defensive a little bit. So what I suggest is you go with Charlie and take him out to lunch. And maybe you guys can kind of talk and, you know, a mentor, he, you can mentor him and blah, 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 and stuff. I've been told that like three times in my career. Why don't you just get on their calendar and go to lunch and maybe you guys can build a relationship. I'm not interested in doing that. I just want you to hear me and validate the fact that I know what I'm talking about and I'm not angry about it. But on the flip side, and I know you guys can agree with this, on the flip side, the my male counterparts, will drop F-bombs, they will say whatever comes to their mind in a meeting, and no one bats an eye, except for me, because I'm sitting over there cringing like, you just say what I think you just said. Like, and that was okay, like nobody, no one got offended by that. <laughs> But I'm not doing that, and I'm just speaking, you know, just speaking my mind, and I'm the angry black woman. So share share your stereotypes, some of your worst stereotypes. It's probably that one, but if it, if it is, that's fine. Share your story. If not, tell me what it would be. I feel like I've already shared mine. It's, it's definitely that one. I was told the same thing in a review. I mentioned, you know, I was told I don't, I look mean when I don't smile. And I, I just, I'm not a person that's going to walk around like this. Right. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> <laughs> it hurts. I know. And you're so that's mine as well. Time. You shouldn't have to. No. I would Oh, I was going to say that we all have endured it. And I think for me, it has evolved because I've now to the points that have been made around make and hopefully, you know, advice that we'll share um, that you in real time challenge some of these assumptions, some of these mm -hmm. statements that are made to us. So I do that now. And um, it, my face is often policed like a lot has been over the years because I have an expressive face, like, like features, yes. all of that. I get it. Yes. Right? Y'all know those that know me on the panel. Y'all know what I'm thinking when I'm thinking it. So I've never been able to, you know, have the good poker face. So sometimes the critiques are fair 10% of the time, the other 90, it's, it's <laughs> being masked by some, some mess. So I think mm -hmm. present day, it's more about thinking that we can endure anything and having mm -hmm. our humanity revoked sometimes because we're strong black women and, um, you know, we've got this. I may have a lot. You're right. I may have it, but that doesn't mean I need to endure some aspects of whatever it is. So that stereotype of trying to work through because um, I just wish the both the, the spectrum of, yes, you can't handle it, but should you have to was more understood um, overall. 
that that's good. Before someone answers this question, because um, Candace, you made me think about a comment that a manager told me, and actually it was when that position with the girl. He told me that I was getting the position because I had very thick skin. And that speaks to what you're saying, mm -hmm. that you're strong, right? You're black, you can handle it. You can handle all the stress. You can handle all the, the minutia and all the stuff that's gonna be thrown at you. And so it, it's to your point, we shouldn't have to. I shouldn't have to have thick right. skin, right? right? So India or Cassandra, do either one of you wanna elaborate on a, a stereotype? Um, it's pretty much the same one that ev that everyone's mentioned before. And to yeah. point, the thing that I've learned to do is challenge it when I hear hear that being said of me. Because like, well, then clearly they don't know me because I am the first person to crack a joke. I am the first person. <laughs> what about right. what I said was angry? Like, help me understand because that had to have come from someone who doesn't know Cassandra the person um, because. I don't, I can't even count how, like, I'm not a person that's quick to anger. That's just not even in my non yeah. nature. So when someone says that, what I've learned to do is to put it back on them, is to have them explain to me what was it that was angry and how was it when Joe said X, Y, Z, using the F-bomb, using the other explicit language, how that wasn't when I don't use profanity at all. Like, right. like to help me understand that. And so when I started to do that, now in my, in my at, at least internal meetings, that's not said as much as or implied because they have to defend that statement. Yep. So that, that's, that's good. Cool. That's good. I like that. I like that. Me too. Yeah, I would definitely um, agree. The definitely the angry black woman is is probably the stereotype that I hate the most. Um, and I find that it definitely appears if you are not, especially when you're in these meetings and everyone's kind of doing the bobbleheading. Yeah, sure, we agree with everything you said, and then you're the one voice to say that actually is not going to work then why are you don't get don't don't get angry like calm down <laughs> like <laughs> but to what i'm just saying you know i have had to challenge that of what what made it seem angry what did i say what was said that came across angry because i said that this probably wouldn't work that's angry like <laughs> you know so i definitely think that's um definitely one stereotype the other is just the expectation on face value we walk into a room the expectation is you're not smart right for whatever reason these are the expectations right you're not smart um you're going to be lazy you're gonna be late all the time. You're not dependable. These are automatically, before you even get, get a shot at it, this is already what's expected. And so being able to take those opportunities for those who have that expectations to flip the script on them so that you do kind of blow their mind so that when that next young black woman comes in the room, now they can't automatically make that assumption because wait a minute, I made that assumption about Jasmine, but then she came and she busted her behind and she got this done and we never thought this was possible, but India came in the room and made it happen or Candace blew our minds with it. 
being able to change their minds as far as to have them have a second thought to say maybe that first assumption wasn't correct. Those are the opportunities, honestly speaking, that to me, I love to blow people's minds like that. But that is one that when you step in the room immediately, all this laundry list of things that they expect. That's so true. And have you guys ever had the, oh, you're black, like the facial expression? Like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. oh, she's black. Yeah. And you, and you inside, if you're me, inside, you kind of smile like, yeah. <laughs> you thought. <laughs> yes, I, I am. I'm black. Oh, you're yeah. really, you're really yes, I am. I get that same little, oh, wow, really? Like, oh, wow, that, you're really intelligent. Oh, wow, that's a great idea. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm surprised that I am. Who would have thought that? Like, <laughs> and let's not forget, you speak so well. Oh, yeah, so yeah. You're yeah. so articulate. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, what? you're so articulate. You spell speak it. the kings very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody say spell it. <laughs> I do. <laughs> but that's so true. I mean, it's sad that, you know, it, it's sad that it's that way, but I think it was India and, and Cassandra who said um, that we have to make sure we're challenging those things. Um, we have to make sure that we're calling those things out. You know, um, early in my career, I would never, I would never do that. Just because at that point, I was like, I was so happy to have a job. I was like, I'm not doing it. Now, in my career, is a lot different. Now, I, I, I know, I know where my resources come from. So now, I'm a little different now when it comes to things like that. I kind of do push the envelope and ask the questions in a professional manner, right? And in the right setting, because it's not something I would have a discussion out. Right. So don't go have discussions out in front of people and embarrass people. But it is one of those, you know, can we have a moment, you know, to go in your office and talk? Can you explain to me why you felt, you know, this way? So it's definitely an opportunity for us as leaders to really challenge those stereotypes and really um, hold people, hold people accountable for those, you know, hold people accountable for those. Because a lot of times the teams will do what the managers do. Right. If the manager is tolerating things like that, the team will do it. If the manager's acting that way, the team's going to do that. Right. Also, mm-hmm. the head. And so that's important that, you know, as we lead people, you know, we let them know, you know, this is acceptable and this is not acceptable. So um, let me get into some terms. I want to kind of talk about some terms real quick. So as a result of the tragic events that have taken place over the last few months in the Black Lives Matters movement, there are a couple of terms that have really been brought to the surface. First term I want to discuss is white privilege. I knew it. <laughs> Sorry. I knew it. Yep. I knew you were going there. I had to do it. So, um, so I did look up what white privilege meant because there may be people who don't understand what that term means. Um, and so I saw a couple definitions. One was in basic terms, according to dictionary.com, I'm trying to give them their credit, It's the unearned, mostly unacknowledged social advantage white people have over other racial groups because they are white. And and another definition is the inherent advantages possessed by a white person based on their race in a society characterized by racial inequality and injustice. So let's talk about white privilege. Um, one of the questions I want to ask you 
is, and, and then we can go into discussion about it after you answer the question. But when you think back on your career, even before that term became a popular term, do you feel like there was ever a time in your career where you used someone else's privilege for your benefit? Now, while you're thinking, I'm going to share with you where I have done this. Now, it's, it was before I knew that it was white privilege, but it was really around sponsorship, right? It was really around going into those meetings, having an advocate, having people who who are on my side, right, with my solution or my idea, and they are white because I know they're going to be heard. Mm -hmm. And so when I started to think about that, I was like, wow, I was actually using someone else's privilege because I didn't think I could do it on my own. I didn't think that that my voice, and you guys said this earlier, I didn't think my voice was strong enough or my voice mattered. So I had to leverage getting buy-in from other people to advocate for me in the meeting. So when my idea goes forward, you know, Bob and Dan and all of them around the table are like, great idea. That's a good idea. I'm for that. And then everybody out of the room, you know, even though most of the time the idea doesn't come from you when it's presented to everyone, right? It's, it comes from someone else. But I, I realized that I have used that to my benefit. Definitely. I, I would even say, again, right, wrong, or indifferent is actually encouraged in our organization. So maybe not the use of white privilege, but definitely, definitely the use of mentors, advocates, and sponsors. Yep. Um, and so basically, that's another way of saying it, right? And, and within the, the company that I work for, we have employee resource organizations. And so black professionals of this company, um, Latin professionals of this company, women of this company um, are the internal organizations. And in those groups, they even talk about, hey, um, have someone be your mentor and then eventually maybe they can be your sponsor. And that's actually how you move up in this particular organization. So I can say that I did have people speak on my behalf, which was even the reason I was considered for the position that I have now, because so many people who may have even been with the organization longer than me were not even considered because they didn't network properly properly right um it's it's no longer enough for your hard work to speak you've got to know the right people as well again right wrong or indifferent you learn to play that game so i can say yes once you've defined what what you were asking absolutely I, i've used it to my benefit in the organization i'm in now and even to get positions before coming into this organization so learning how to have someone if you will validate that I'm a good candidate until they learned me for themselves. And then what happens in turn is I can bring someone else along, right? So I've actually used it to help bring other people that look like you and I to the table as well. But yeah, it, it does sometimes mean we have to have their voice speak for us until people get to know us and hear our voice. And I'm ready to get to the day where we're the sponsors. Yeah. 
Where we're the ones that people are coming and saying, I need you to validate what I'm saying. I need you as an ally for me because I'm going into this meeting and you're one of the voices that I know they're going to listen to. Somebody else has something to say. I know Candace is shaking. Everybody's shaking their head. So does anybody have anything to say about that? Candace, you look like you're just like, I'm ready. It's so, you know, white privilege and white supremacy are so interwoven into our society, um, like into the threads and the foundation. And sadly, people think when I say white supremacy, it literally means KKK and the hood, the hood and everything. And that's a piece of it for sure. Yep. But it's also so much more subtle and yep. the normalized behaviors of what is um, proper and professional. Like it, it's, it's overwhelming when you really look at it. So, you know, I love the way you worded the question, Sheree, because the, you know, have I taken, used other people's advantage? It's almost like, well, no. it's unearned. It's often undue, right? That, that a, a number of parties have it. Um, so am I, am I taking advantage or am I seeing that the, you know, wealth is redistributed a bit, but in essence to thrive and to survive, you, you have to, even without those like myself who try their darndest not to lose themselves in any of this yep. or compromise who they are, um, who chip away at the system that they're also trying to be a part of, or, or, you know, not trying to be a part of, but you can't not, it's, it's, it's complex. So that's why my you know, wheels are turning because absolutely all of us, um, if literally, if you're employed anywhere in this country, have to participate in it. For me, it's to what degree. Yes. And it's, you know, you said, you know, always be tactful when you challenge people, pull them to the side. I've absolutely challenged publicly because they made that public comment about me or someone that looks like me to get 20 people thinking, oh, that behavior is okay. No, let's go right here. So and I know and I know for a fact that you do. <laughs> yes, yes, she does. <laughs> so, so you know, I'm like, I like the question because you're making me think because I have to answer it. Yes, I participate. I, I play the game, but I'm not going to be your top five. I might be on the bench because I have to be here, but I'm going to get my contract signed, and you're going to pay me. But I'm, I can't be your star player in this system because it is. It, there's so much that's so wrong and um, needs to be changed. So good, so good, so good, yeah. India. Yeah that Candace, um, I think that is definitely something that, you know, looking honestly, absolutely, I've definitely leveraged that, um, but leveraged it as a strategy. Um, so um, again, it, it is unearned, it's something that's given to them where I feel like we work and over earn what we end up getting, the crumbs that we get. And so if I can leverage some of that that you have that's not earned anyway, and I've earned it to get to where I'm going, so that's Cassandra said, I can pull up others. It's a means to an end, um, but not that I'm just using it to use it. But no, there's a strategy in mind, and eventually what I'm trying to get after is going to happen. But yeah, absolutely, I have definitely leveraged that and getting that you know, someone else's voice, if that's what they're going to listen to today, so be it. Because at one, at some point in time, my voice will have to be heard. I, I love that strategy. I love how you worded that. It is. It's strategy, right? Mm -hmm. I, I don't think any of us have gotten to where we are today because we're not smart, because we're not bright women. So, um, okay. 
So as a result of the, okay, my laptop just went black. Not sure what happened. Okay, there you go. Can you guys see me? Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't know what happened there. All right. So, um, as a re okay, so the other time that I wanted to make, I don't know why that just went black, but okay. Um, the other term that's being used a lot is allyship. So one of the definitions of allyship is a journey of authentically supporting individuals and communities who have been marginalized or overlooked. To ally is to take Wait, wait, let me say that again, because I think I missed a word. Allyship is a journey of authentically supporting individuals and communities who have been marginalized or overlooked. To ally is to take intentional action, like listening, learning, and uplifting those around you to ensure all voices are heard and respected. So I want to talk about allyship and what it looks like, because we as leaders, right, we have a role to play. Um, and I love what Cassandra was saying about, you know, in, in India about going, you know, and reaching back and, and bringing up people. And I often have, you know, junior employees come and ask me different questions. How did you get where you are? You know, how did you navigate through this? Or how did you handle this? And I have this problem and that problem, right? And so when we start to talk about allyship, we're all playing a role, I know for a fact, today in our companies around allyship, right? It's in all, all everybody's getting meeting invitations about allyship, courageous conversations about diversity and inclusion, all of these things, right? It's probably like a hundred meetings right now about it, which is wonderful. But how do we invoke true change through allyship? So what does allyship mean to you? Because I think the difference in passive allyship where you're just talking and active allyship so talk to me ladies what do y'all think about that um, um i'll jump in here um yeah <laughs> so so to me i think there's definitely two forms right there is the hey i'm just gonna support you i'll be that voice i'll help you along but then there is the no the system is broken Right, so let's take an action to change the system and not just support the current system in place. And I think that's where we need to swing the pendulum. It's not that I'm gonna support you, I'm gonna pat you on the back, I'm gonna be here as a shoulder to cry on, but we're gonna hold this system together. But yes. it's, no, we're gonna dismantle this system. There's things that are wrong here. And that's what the active and the intentional and the authenticity that was within that definition, if it's an authentic view of what's happening, then it has to be an action behind it that changes what's taking place. You can't authentically look at what's taking place in terms of race in this country and say, we're just gonna support the current system in place. So no, your voice isn't wanted. So to support you, I'll be your voice. No, that's continuing the same pattern <laughs> we're seeing. Oh, that's good. It is. So good, so good. Who else? Yeah, um, so to your point, I think that I've seen both of those things begin to happen in the organization that I work for. Um, and so what I mean by that is the allies have reached out to myself and the ERO for the Black professionals in, in our company 
and asked for our voice at the table. And they, the company as a whole has began to put things in place because they recognize, hey, you know what? This system is broken. Let's begin to give them visibility. Let's begin to be intentional about the executive level people seeing this group of people that probably didn't have a voice before. Um, also, personally, what's happening too is those allies that work alongside me in, in my same department what I've noticed in the last, I'll say month or so, has been if I'm in a meeting, which typically not only am I the only uh, female, I'm also the only African-American. So it's both for me a lot of times, right? The only black and the only woman. So what I've noticed now is that same ally who is a high exec will say, Cassandra, did you have something to say? Well, hey, let's see what Cassandra's opinion is on this. Whereas before, I would have to say, hey, 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 and keep doing that until I had room to speak, whereas now someone will stop and ask me to speak. So I'm, I'm beginning to see that the mindset from our CEO down for, for this is happening, and they put parameters in place to do more than just talk about it. They're actually trying to be about it. That's good. That's good. Jasmine or Candice? Um, I just, I think the term itself is one that shouldn't be used too loosely. And I, I remind folks of that. You don't get to say you're an ally. Other people should deem if you are not dependent upon the marginalized community that's being impacted. And I've said that for years. And so this, this has been a very surreal time for a number of reasons, right? We have COVID-19 impacting the world and the tragedies there, just everything that's just kind of, um, you know, coming together at once. And I will say, so our, 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 we call it ERG or affinity group, so employee resource group, um, our local one focused on multiculturalism in uh, Raleigh won ERG of the year. So for the activities we've been doing last year, so in 2019, before all of this, you have a, a team that is actively trying to get people engaged and trying to, um, you know, pave a path that isn't as listened to, right? And fast forward to early June, um, after the, the senseless murders of, of um, Ahmaud Aubrey and Brianna Taylor um, and George Floyd happened. And it's like, it was, it was so much, y'all, because you see people wanting to want to be an ally, but I don't know how to stop talking because it's always got to be about me, right? And, and um, I'm going to perform this way. And um, I feel bad. So can you make me feel better? No. I don't care about you right now. I care about other things that are far more important. I don't want anything bad to happen to you. I hope you're doing well as you deal with this thing that's hitting you um, a couple hundred years later than other, other people, but you're not the priority. So I think when I hear ally, I'm like, all right, what do you mean by that? You know how to be quiet. You know how to listen. You know how to do work, um, as India was saying. And to Cassandra's point, yes, I, I want you to ask me my opinion, but y'all know my opinion's been there. You just weren't listening before. So are you listening now? Are you going to enact it? And don't speak on my behalf. Let me speak. Let my partner speak, the junior members that have great ideas, and give us credit where it's due. That's what an ally does, in my opinion. Love I, I struggle with this because, um, first, I agree with everything everyone said, um, but I struggle with this issue because these issues have been here for forever. And so now I almost resent the fact that everyone cares and they want to be an ally and I don't know how sincere that truly is but the other part of me the optimistic part of me wants to really say you know what it doesn't matter let's leverage the energy let's leverage that passion and, and let's do it 
change it for good. And so I was quiet because I, I, I struggle with this on a daily, <laughs> on a daily basis. That's real. We all do. It's real. It's real. Mm -hmm. Do y'all know? So to to help you with that struggle, because I'm gonna play the little, you know, good cop, uh, horrible analogy, good cop, bad cop. Um, but I want to play the the character that, like, you know, to help with that struggle, because I agree, Jasmine, so much. I've been reading information on. I believe her name Robin is Robin D'Angelo. She's the author of yes. uh, How to Be. Is it not How to Be Interpreted? White Fragility. That's yeah, right. yes. yeah. That's, that's it. Yes, and that's that's receiving just the irony and proving the points of how you got to be careful and how we don't need to feel guilty about, well, the energy's here. Yes, let's use it, but not, you know, we can still screen a little bit. We being people who are, you know, questioning the term, not just black folks. Um, I think she makes 30 K per um, speaking event that she does when you have black women, black men, whomever marginalized communities that, you know, might get a free ticket to an event, maybe get lodging and more. So I was looking at the, I follow a very diverse, uh, community of people on Twitter just because Twitter is hilarious if you know how to like screen the <laughs> BS um, and yeah a white woman who's teaching about how what white fragility is which honestly is the most entry-level concept in my humble opinion because it's it's not that complex when you kind of think about we're all fragile in different ways uh, again white privilege in a country that's white dominated like it exists makes 30k and then other parties might get a couple hundred to a thousand and they have to ask for that and that's an ally so just some perspective yeah i actually started listening to that book a couple weeks ago it takes me forever to get through a book but i started listening to that to that book on audible um so now you you pique my interest even more to finish it um did everybody go and answer about allyship did anybody else have anything to add Okay, so I want to read um, an excerpt. Um, before I read that, though, um, I do believe that actions speak louder than words. Um, my company has done a lot around, you know, from the head, you know, putting out communications, putting out resources. We just recently got our first chief diversity and inclusion um, officer. Um, and you know, our, we have ERGs as well. That's what we call ours employee resource groups. Um, we have one um, geared towards um, uh, African-Americans and we have one geared towards women. But one of the things that, that I keep waiting for, we just had a survey and the survey said, um, how are we doing about diversity and inclusion? You know, and it said, you know, strongly agree that we're doing great, you know, all of that. And, and so um, there was a place where you could put a comment and I made the comment that while I see a lot of action, I see a lot of things happening, right? I see a lot of talk. I see a lot of meetings. I see a lot of resources being put out there. But I can't say, yes, I strongly agree that it's working until I see the results of the actions, until I see you actually putting in the work, having the conversations and something coming out of it, then I can say, I strongly agree that our company is doing the right things around diversity and inclusion. And diversity and inclusion, that's a whole nother topic that we're not going to have time to get into tonight. But even right when we start to talk about inclusiveness, right, we black people get lost because then they go, well, it's people of color. And we have the right mixture in the numbers, right? We have a certain percentage of people of color. So I could go on about that, but how many black people do you have? 
right? How many black leaders do you have? So I do want to read this excerpt from a book written by Sonia Renee Taylor. And her book is um, The Body is Not an Apology. So she says in her book, many believe that erasing or ignoring our differences is allyship. And I forgot who touched on that. I think it might have been Candace. Somebody touched on that. But we're not looking to erase or ignore our differences. That's not allyship. Ignoring differences does not change society, nor does it change the experiences non-normative bodies must navigate to survive. Rendering difference invisible validates the notion that there are parts of us that should be ignored, hidden, or minimized, leaving in, leaving in place the unspoken idea that difference is the problem and not the approach to dealing with difference. And I was like, that was so profound. You hear people say, I don't see color. No, we want you to see color. We want you to recognize that we, ha we have color. We, we want you to recognize that and not ignore that because that's where we're different. But we want you to embrace and understand our differences and allow us to have a voice at the table, even though we're different. And so I kind of want to shift um, in the last couple minutes, and then I want to—I am going to open it up for question and answers by those who um, registered for the Zoom and participated in the Zoom. So you can go ahead um, if you're on the Zoom, go ahead and start dropping your questions down in the Q and A section, and I'm going to get to those. If you have a particular person that you want to answer that question, make sure you put their name there with the question. If it's just an open-ended question and it doesn't matter who answers it, then you don't need to put a name. So I want to shift um, real quick to each of us, right? Each of us have leadership positions. We have an opportunity to invoke real change. We make hiring decisions. We make resource decisions, all of that. And I, I'm going to make this one big question, and it's going to be two parts. One is going to be, how are you personally impacting change and or working with others in your organization to impact change? And then I want you to touch a little bit on your role as a leader in hiring. What does that look like now that we have all of this going on? Because it's different, right? It's different. So, um, Candice, you want yes. to start that one? <laughs> <laughs> um, you yeah. on it. No, well, the first part, I, I think the first part not being, you know, glib or flippant at all, but um, I think I'm, I'm not stopping. So I mean it when I say a lot of this has been, um, especially for those that know me, this, these have been topics that have been important and that I've been bringing up and, and trying to do my part. Um, for years. For years, right? So just not burning out because of in, in a weird way the attention and, and um other people's sudden focus and um i'm excited for people who can leverage and use platforms ethically to do what they need to do and not just use it as a way to capitalize um but yeah still being a part of the active network of people doing things not just talking about it um and as it pertains to what i do from the hiring perspective also a chuckle because again, I'm in the business of recruiting and talent management. So I've always been very, very intentional about ensuring that when reaching out to um, professionals and candidates, um, there's going to be a population that 
look like me and, and my friends and other communities that maybe I'm, you know, I'm self-aware enough to know I might not have tons of friends in another marginalized community, but I absolutely know that population should be considered and brought to the table and holding my clients very accountable to the point that it's gotten me in trouble, but why would I want to work with a client that's racist, sexist, whatever, um, to hearing why, why are you not moving forward with this candidate? What does someone's citizenship stat, uh, status have to do with anything? Did you know that this particular aspect of what you just said is illegal? Um, I like it's it's not challenging for me because it's like built in me. So I'm continuing to try to get other people comfortable with just doing the right thing where right is acknowledging difference is um, being okay with being more. I, I saw something on Instagram and shared this on this Instagram, my Instagram story. I think it's far more important to be kind than it is to necessarily be nice. It's wonderful to be both, of course, uh, especially if one just says their natural demeanor, please be yourself, period. But worry about being kind and doing the right things um, because this will not just be, it can be a flavor of the month for a lot of parties, but it shouldn't be. That's so good, that's so good. Um, anyone else, Jasmine? Yeah, what I do now um, to help kind of advocate for this change is I, and leading um, an internal task force that's looking at um, health inequities because I work for a healthcare company. Um, and so what I did is made that recommendation based on our business. So how, how do I tie these important issues to our business for, for our field, it's health inequities. And so I'm helping to lead an effort with several efforts um, you know, across the enterprise for that. Additionally, I, um, I realized from my experience that maybe I'm not always the best voice. And, and so I am um, intentionally cheerleading a, um, a non-black person that has the passion and sees the vision and helping her um, to, to be that voice because sometimes you need to hear these things from someone that looks like you and not from someone that looks like me. And so, um, I'm really proud of the work that she's, I think, going to be leading as a result of that. In regard to hiring, um, my positions, it's the same. I've always tried to make sure that we're hiring from a diverse perspective. Our team goes out into the field to um, individuals that have lower income. And, and so uh, we want to make sure we look like our clientele. Like it's, a, it's just a no-brainer and I make no excuses about it. And uh, my leadership is very supportive of, you know, of doing that. Of course, we want to make sure we're hiring the best talent and all that, but you can do that and, and still make sure you have a diverse uh, team as well. Yep. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Making sure, making sure that your company represents the demographics. That's, that's, that's key, right? That's key because when people are looking for a place to work, you know, that's often something that they're concerned about. You know, will I feel value here? You know, will, will I be valued yeah. here? How will I be respected? You know, or will I be, you know, the odd man out, so to speak, or the odd woman out? <laughs> um, India. Um, yeah, so, so what I am currently doing to invoke change. Um, so I think each of us, all of us as people, we all have a platform, some different sizes than others. And so I think with whatever circle you have that you have some level of influence over it's important to take action in that circle and so i firmly believe um, in the quotation of you will never change what you tolerate and so i think within our own circles of influence 
just making sure that certain things aren't going to be tolerated um, and demonstrating that consistently. Um, so that's definitely something, and I kind of mirror what Candace was saying, I've always done, but definitely now holding people's feet to the fire of if you want to pretend you have motivation, we're going to hold your feet to the fire on this one. Um, but as for things that I'm currently doing, um, it's definitely in um, the department I work in is not very diverse at all. Very oftentimes, majority of the times, I am the only um, black face that's there. And in leadership, it's very, very few. Um, so in understanding that, I have done a few things and I'm working towards a few things. So one is my my thoughts on diversity and inclusion. And of course, that can open up a whole another 30 minutes of discussion. But um, a lot of times you have... Um, companies that say, yep, we want to get more people of color and so we can check the box, right? Are they treated here? Um, and so we recognize that in certain pockets of the organization, Black people aren't treated fairly. And we know that, right? We know it is pervasive within certain areas. So it's how do we get this together? How do we get our arms around that? How do we have the conversations with leadership from those voices that expect, right? If as a black woman, you, you've worked and worked and worked and gotten to a certain level and your voice is respected, you have to use that voice wisely, right? So that's where I am now is attempt, making sure that I am using my voice wisely to not only make sure I have a seat at the table, but making sure others can get there as well in terms of hiring. Um, I did see, and I actually brought this to our HR team, because um, I actually have a couple positions I'm hiring for now. I'm going to reach out to you, Candice. But anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> and this is my go-to. But, um, but with hiring, there is actually a nonprofit organization that went through an exercise of taking off the names, the name of the university, mm -hmm. um, and any, any factor that could be used to distinguish in any way, shape, or form race um, and actually having those resumes submitted and then selecting the best candidate, right? Because a lot of times you see resumes come across and how do you say that name? No, let's move on. And what school was, oh, no, let's move on. And you're filtering out talent that could take the organization to that next level because of your own internal bias, whether it's conscious or subconscious. And so I brought that to um, our HR team and we had a very interesting discussion we'll say um, on that um, but it's one of those things where again you know it, if we tolerate it if we lay back and say well this is the way they do it we, we are continuing to support a broken system so I love it so resume masking yes masking. yep or or even um, white I think I've heard the term white um, I had actually was going to talk about that but white um, making a white resume or whitewashing your resume or something like that where you're stripping all of the identifying things that will kind of flag that you're that you're not white um but that is i'm sorry cassandra to cut you off but when you start talking about that i was like yes 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 because that's one of the things that 
that I want to go back to our HR with and kind of talk about, you know, how do we do these blind resumes, these, this resume masking to make sure that we're not already putting people in a pile over here because they have the name, you know, or the school, right? They went to an HBCU and you automatically said they're not at the right pedigree, right? So I have heard that term used in corporate America, right? They're not from... Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, for, for executive level positions, they're not the right pedigree, but saying those things and having, you know, when resumes that, that people, um, you can't tell their um, ethnicity by looking at the resume. And even people, you know, even people are going about even changing, um, changing their names, right? Changing their names on resumes so that people can't tell or naming their children something because they want to make sure when their children go to college, you know, they're not separated or when they get jobs, they're not, you know, blackballed because their name is a name that is not Sue or Billy or Tom or, you know, or Jane. Mm -hmm. And so you, you just, you just struck a nerve because that's something that, that I really think that HR's um, departments should start doing to kind of level the playing field. Um, Cassandra. Yeah, I, I must agree with the fellow panelists. Um, I think for me personally, it's been intentional, intentionality with my voice, right? That's the thing that's been different for me personally is, um, as India said, I can't change what I tolerate, right? So not tolerating the status quo anymore, um, using the people who say they have my voice. So you say you have my back. Let's see if you really do have my back. So I'm being very intentional with my voice. Um, challenging the status quo a little bit more now as well. So, well, why is it we do it this way? Um, just mm -hmm. putting, the, putting their feet to the fire. If they say that they really want this change, then let's see that. Um, and as far as hiring is, is concerned, I'm more of an influencer with that. So I don't make the the final decision with that but some of the things that i've done is bring people to other people's attention so hey you're considering an, an se have you looked at these people who's on your short list of se's oh well why isn't so and so on this list because this is their background so beginning to be the voice for um people who look like me or or other marginalized communities that i know personally um deserve a shot as well so those are the two two things that I that is so good that's so good um I know we're also starting to um you know put our money where our mouths are for our company we're going to start going out and recruiting at HBCUs right because typically we've hit colleges that are non-HBCUs and so we're starting to to really target those um, universities because there's a lot of talent there, you know, that we're missing out on because we're stuck with, you know, the traditional non-white um, universities, but great, 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 um, great feedback on that. Um, it, we have a lot of work to do. We do. We have a lot of work to do, a lot of work cut out for us. And I love what India said about what we tolerate. We can't change um, something mm -hmm. that, you know, we have the voice, so we should use it. You know, and I know that each one of you are respected black women at your companies. Um, and we have a voice, so we need to use it to invoke change. I'm going to go over here to the question and answers and um, read a few of the questions, and then we're going to wrap up. If anyone else has a question or answer, make sure if you're on the Zoom, 
assume that you're dropping that in the question and answer um, section. Okay, none of these have specific people's names, so I'm just going to open it up and whoever wants to answer it can answer it. Um, someone said, I have a question about feeling disconnected in this pandemic at this time. Anybody want to take that one? Okay. I don't know if I understand the full question. I mean, amen. Yes, I think a lot of us are feeling disjointed. Um, he or she is probably not alone. Um, I don't know what else they're, they're asking there. I might have missed it. Yeah, um, if you have any more context to that question, just drop it here, but I'm going to take it from this approach, and if it's not right, again, drop it here. But, um, you know, this is one of the things I was thinking about the other day. Um, you should always try to be an asset versus a liability, right, in your career. So even though we're in this pandemic, we still have to bring it, regardless, it, right? We're, and we're yeah because we're still working hard we're still on every meeting and all of that but you want to get to a point where you are an asset and not a liability and what I mean by that is you either find that skill that niche that thing that you do that there aren't many people that do that and it's not always a technical skill it could be the art of persuasion Right. You could be someone who knows how to bring consensus, bring people together to reach a decision. You may be a good thinker, a strategist or something like that. You may be somebody that, you know, is able to work across teams, um, make improvements somewhere in another department and not just your own. Right. Those type of things will set you apart even during a pandemic. So that when you're doing these things, you now become an asset and not a regular, just a regular person that it doesn't really matter that you're there or not. Right. And so during this pandemic, um, I think it's even more important that that we make sure that we are an asset and that we are showing our strength, our skills and things like that, because people are not seeing us every day. But when you start to do that. If something comes to mind, they'll go, oh, yeah, I remember India was really good at that the last time. So that's how I take that. But Debbie, if you if that wasn't right, what you were asking, um, definitely drop another question. Um, she was saying, yeah, why do we all have to appear as the angry black woman? So that's common, right? Um, here's a good question. Have you ever struggled determining if discrimination is based on race or gender? Yes. And <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like I, I know there's some form of, uh, or, or one of the two, or maybe both, uh, massage noir. Maybe you all heard that term where there's the misogyny and then the noir for black, combining both. Yep. Um, and I'll, always taking a step, be like, maybe it's neither. Very rarely the case, but I do. You have to just say. Maybe it was me. Like I said, that 10% of the time, it was strictly me. Um, but yes, I, I struggle with it. And I think um, to what most, I think all of us have said as panelists, being more um, real time and intentional about um, challenging the narrative in a way that I'm not worried about is it threatening because I know I did not raise my voice. I did not um, you know, say anything that would be defined as threatening language. Um, and honestly, again, I'm human. So if I am a little angry at false accusations, that's okay too. But asking for more clarification, seeking to understand um, can sometimes help to 
analyze that a bit. And then sometimes it, it's just, it could have been one of the other or both. I'm moving on because that, you know, I'm not going to let it hamper or, or harm me and I will speak to where I need to, but I'm also not going to let this become something I internalize because of that other party's, um, you know, ignorance. That, that's like a great question though. Does anybody else have feedback on that one? The only thing I'd add is when, a younger, when I was younger in my career, age was also another um, trigger. It was also one of those things. Mm -hmm. I was like, is it because I'm young? Is it because I'm black? Is it because I'm a woman? Mm -hmm. So um, that, that's the only thing I'd add. I don't have that issue now, but. <laughs> anybody else have anything to add to that question? Um, and I would say too, um, particularly many of us to find ourselves being the only of something where it's the only black or the only woman or only both and I was literally having this conversation with my best friend the other day and I said I, I'm not sure if I'm interpreting this right and because I'm the only one I don't have anybody to bounce this off of yeah. <laughs> anyone else would see it through a different set of lenses so what I found myself having to do is make a note of it keep pushing and then see if it reoccurs so then I can address it and say, hey, I'm noticing X, Y, Z, and, and these are the times that it's happened, and then get clarity to what Candace said. Ask for some clarification um, or confront it, right? Um, I, personally, I'm not one who likes to confront, but I'm learning that I can't deal with the things that I don't confront. And yeah. so days are gone of just accepting it, allowing it, and confrontation doesn't have to be ugly. It's literally calling them to the to the call them front street on it, right? Like, hey, what did you mean by this? Elaborate on that because sometimes if it if it, if there was an undertone, they're gonna backpedal, they're gonna not have a way to really say what they meant. Or if it was really innocent, they can clearly say it without the undertone. Um, I think we had a conversation a couple of weeks ago where a particular word in in another culture is not offensive, but in the South it would be. Um, and the person literally meant nothing by it, but mm -hmm. once you ask the question, then you see that, oh, this was because my past has taught me X, Y, Z, not because they literally meant something, but then it was a tool to educate them, hey, be mindful that this particular word, which means nothing to you, can have this meaning. I now know that you didn't mean anything by it, but just know your audience, basically. That's good. India, do you have anything to answer that question? Yeah, one thing I'll say, and I think that um, definitely it is a question I've asked um, with different experiences um, and can also relate to what Jasmine was saying, where early on, is it because I'm young? Is that, you know, what it is? But I think also what's important, and it's been mentioned kind of throughout the different comments, is to recognize that it is discrimination. Um, kind of file that away because additional interactions will reveal what it is, but to not internalize it, right? One of the things my um, dad used to say all the time is that boats don't sink until what's outside gets inside. And so I'm not going to allow what you're saying to affect how I view myself. So you may be discriminating. I recognize what that is, right? So I don't want you to think I'm stupid. I didn't see it. I saw mm -hmm. it. Filing that away, because when you do it again, I'm going to remind you, yep, this is a second time now. So no, it wasn't a mistake. Let me go ahead and address this. Um, but making sure that I am not now questioning my own self. Mm -hmm. So going back to what I said about knowing who I am. 
so that when those discrimination experiences happen, I don't go into myself and take all of that inside and feel like I have to do the labor to distinguish which kind of discrimination it is. It's wrong. And right. that is enough for me, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so Brian, yes, <laughs> we do struggle <laughs> trying to determine if discrimination is based on our race or our gender. And, and a discrimination is discrimination, no matter how you put it. But it, it is real to us. You know, we do stop and say, why was I, was I discriminated because I'm a woman or was I discriminated because I'm black, you know? And so it, it, it yeah, it, it is a struggle for us. So we do deal with that. Um, unless someone blatantly calls you something or says something to, to, to make you know that it's, it's a race or says or does something to let you blatantly know that it's, it's related to women, to you being a woman. Yeah. We struggle with trying to figure that out. Um, and here's the last question, and we are going to wrap this up. How have you coped with the in inequities you faced in the workplace? Hmm. <laughs> She's like, <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just, I just, <laughs> For me, for me, I touched on this a lot earlier, I think. For me, it was changing my mindset and changing the paradigm for me and not putting my value in, in that work or in what those folks said about me or thought about me and, play, and knowing my value as a child of God, knowing my value as a human being and what I bring to this universe. And so um, that, that's what it is for me. I had to change my whole mindset. That's good. That's good. Anybody else? Yeah, I'll just piggyback off of what Jasmine said. So I think that shift happened for me probably, I don't know, six years ago or so, where I began to take on the mindset that my job was not my source. God is my source. My job is merely the way that I provide for what I love. That's cool. And when that's your mindset um, and being the women that we are, we do what we have to do to survive the things that we have to survive, but we don't get hung up on, on what it is. Um, we fight what we can fight uh, and, and we don't what we can't. We change what we can and, and, and we don't give too much stock to the things that don't really matter. Um, I try not to, to um, India's point, not to internalize things that will cause me to lose who I am, right? Because the problem isn't a Cassandra problem. It's not a Candace problem. It's not a Jasmine or Sheree or India problem. It's a their problem. So not taking on something that doesn't belong to me um, is, is kind of how I, I handle that. And, and again, just keeping my mind clear, staying in the word <laughs> um, <laughs> and just being true to who I am. India or Candace, want to take that at all? I think that the truth, be true to self, as uh, it's been said, mm -hmm. do not internalize. Internalize, I guess, if you're being true to yourself, then you're going to know the things that you actually can work on that um, will do nothing but help you in your personal and professional relationships regardless, um, but not internalizing and agree wholeheartedly. So most has been said. I, I think also how I've navigated is... Um, I'm a justice seeker, so holding parties accountable um, is something that I do. And now 
I learned, have learned, will continue to learn, retaliation is very real. So being, um, I guess, wise and understanding of when you do try to disrupt um, unjust aspects of a system, parties that benefit from it won't like that. And you, again, you could be retaliated against. So going back to knowing who you are, whatever your belief system is, what you follow and practice, hopefully that is still bigger than this job or this company or the parties that are wishing, you know, harm intentional or not. Um, but it, it's worked fairly well thus far. And, and I've kept going without burning myself out or sacrificing, um, you know, my, my values and what I think is important, but sticking true to that um, and holding parties accountable where you can, I think has helped me. Yeah, I will. I will just wrap it up. I'll say, you know, for me, how how I've coped with inequities um, because they they have been there. <laughs> Boy, have they been there! Um, in fact, yeah, they've been there. Um, I think for me, it's really knowing my value and knowing what I bring to the table, and it's really basically what all of you have said. You know, at some point in your career, you wake up and you realize, you know, I am smart, I am very talented, I am beautiful, I'm all of these things, right? So I bring something to the organization and it goes back to being an asset versus a liability. I can do things that others can't, right? Because we're all unique. There are things that each of us can do in a meeting that Bob may not be able to do. Whether it's our personality, whether it's always something, you know, and, and that's how I that's how I cope with it. I just tell myself how valuable I am, you know, and what an asset I am to any organization that I work for. And when when I take that mindset, it removes the fear of me losing any job. Right, it, it takes that out of the way. I'm not going to let you treat me that way, and I don't have to stand for it. Because I know my worth, I know my value, and I know that I have friends like Candace who can give me a job somewhere else. <laughs> but, 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 but true, seriously though, you know, we've built such a network, right, of women and black women that didn't exist years ago. And so we built a strong network. So I would encourage anyone out there listening, if you don't have a strong network of other sisters, you need to get a network of other sisters, right? Because they're going to work at other companies at different levels and positions. So if something were to happen, I know, I know I have at least 10 or 20 women that I could call tomorrow and say, look, this is what happened. I'm looking for this. You know, they may or may not have something where they work, but I've established that network and that relationship that I don't have to put up with any of that if I choose not to. And I think that's what a lot of us have get, gotten to that point. And, you know, I'm going to give some credit to Candace because, you know, we've had a long relationship, probably just as long as India, India and I have. And I remember us, you know, early on when I, when I was battling a lot of the, the women and the black and, and all of that and trying to, you know, get to the next level and things like that. And she was telling me about the network, right? You, you need to make sure, like, who's in your network for this? Who's in your network for that? And it's so important that we build that community 
amongst each other. And it's not that we want to bash anybody, but God knows we need to be there to support one another, right? So that we can bounce ideas off, make sure that we can get things done. You know, I'm going to be talking to India about the whole resume discussion that she had with HR, but there's so many different things, you know, that we can leverage with one another. And I think it's important for, you know, the younger generation of black women that are coming up that they have people to look up to and to model. So making sure that, you know, we're not going off and, and doing all the things that people stereotypically think that we do, right? We may do that at home sometime, but we don't do that in the workplace because we are professional. And we know how to handle ourselves in a professional manner. And so um, if anyone else doesn't have anything to say, I know that was this this was a phenomenal, phenomenal discussion. Um, are there any last words that anyone wants to say? Well, just thank you so much, SP, for bringing us together and for leading this discussion and um, for making it available to, to the masses. And I really have my prayers that it's helpful to someone. Absolutely. You are welcome. Thank you for agreeing to participate. I appreciate it. Does anybody else have any parting words? All right. So I'm going to say thank you to my panelists. I want you to hold on here so we can talk, have a little after party, but hold on here. Don't disconnect because I'm going to go ahead and stop the streaming on Facebook. But I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in um, this evening. Again, I hope that every person that tuned in, that you're walking away with something, some increase in knowledge or awareness or something that you can now take and do something with it, right? Have some action behind what you just heard because each and every one of us, we have a role to play if we're going to impact real change against racism in corporate America. And so I thank you guys for tuning in. I'm going to have a men's panel next. Um, we're getting the date lined up for that, but I think that's going to be awesome because I think that black men in corporate America, they have slightly different issues, right, than we as black um, so I want, I'm interested in talking about that. And who knows, we may come back and do another women's panel, you know, because diversity and inclusion is a whole, that's a whole nother topic about that. So I thank each and every one of you for tuning in. If you didn't already share, go hit that share button so that others can get this information and we could just get the word out and help some other people to grow. All right. So with that said, you all have a great evening and um, you'll see us again. You'll see us again. All right. Have a good night.